Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this sermon. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form for you to fill out so we can get to know you better. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread it. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. I came across an article this week on a website called Psychology Today, and the headline of the article captured my attention. Here was the the way they titled the article, Why We Need to Know Why. It intrigued me, so I read the article. Here's the opening of the article. I want you to hear what they said. I thought it was very insightful. We are, all of us, meaning-seeking creatures. We seek not only to define the meaning of our lives by adopting, whether consciously or unconsciously, an overarching purpose, but also to understand the reason for almost everything that happens in the course of each day. Why? is what drives not only everything we do, but also our emotional reactions to everything that happens to us. Why? The importance of knowing why. And as I thought about that and reflecting on that article, the church, I think, especially in America, but it's really a problem all over the world, the church is often too focused on the what question and not focused enough on the why question. The what question is a question that we answer with our hands. It's a, it's a hands question. It's a question about what am I supposed to do? A lot of times the church is really good at talking about the what. What are we supposed to do? How am I supposed to behave? What am I supposed to perform? What, 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 what activities am I supposed to or not supposed to partake in? We're good at the what question, the hands question. The why question is a heart question. It's a motivation question. And when you read the scripture, it's interesting. Jesus is way more interested than the heart than the hands. The hands can be doing the right thing, but if they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, that's not pleasing to the Lord. David talks about this in the Psalms. Over the past year in our country, a lot of questions have been asked about Christians gathering together. There have been a lot of debate. There have been a lot in the news. There's been a lot in the press about Christians gathering together. And it's focused predominantly on the what happens when we gather. This weekend, I felt led of the Lord for us to take a one-week break. We'll be jumping back into our study in the book of James next weekend. But I want us to focus this weekend on the why Of gathering. And I want to ask this question. I want to really answer this idea. Why gathering together is so important. Why gathering together for worship as God's people is such a big deal. You know, gathering together with God's people for worship was the practice of the life of Jesus. When you study Jesus' life in the Gospels, over and over you read verses like Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Look at this verse. It says, and he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. It's his hometown. 
and as was his custom. You see that phrase? As was his custom. That, that phrase, as was his custom, refers to something that, that was a lifestyle practice. It was the normal rhythm of Jesus' life. What was his custom? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. It was the pattern of Jesus' life to gather with God's people on the Lord's day for worship. One of the things that we teach here at Hope Church is that the Christian life, and listen, it's not just a teaching of Hope Church. We believe it's a teaching of the New Testament. It's why we teach it. But the Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus, but the Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through us. There's great freedom in the discovery of the power of Christ in us living his life through us. Well, if when Jesus was on the earth, Jesus' practice and pattern of life was to gather with God's people for worship. It just makes sense that as we allow Christ to live his life in and through us, that that reflection, that pattern will be demonstrated in our lives. And you saw it in the early church. What was the pattern of the life of Jesus became the practice of New Testament Christians. When you read in the book of Acts, you'll see many places in the book of Acts where the early church gathered on the Lord's Day. For example, in Acts chapter 20, it says on the first day of the week, the church gathered together. The church gathered every week on the Lord's Day to worship. And that was something that continued on in the early church. As a matter of fact, there's a historian, a Christian historian and philosopher whose name is Justin Martyr. He lived about 100 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to listen to what Justin Martyr said in his writing, The First Apology. He said, this is 100 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. On the day called Sunday, there is a meeting in one place of those who live in cities or the country, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets. Now, what we know is the memoirs of the apostles and the writing of the prophets, we would now say that to be the Bible. It's the Old Testament prophets. It's the writing of Peter and John and Paul in the New Testament. He says that the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. I love that they were long back then too. When the reader has finished, the one presiding in a discourse urges and invites us to the imitation of these noble things. Here's what he says. This is 100 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Every week on the Lord's Day on Sunday, they would gather together. Somebody would stand up and read the Scripture. And then they would, somebody would then speak from that Scripture and urge people to imitate what we're reading in the Scripture. Then he says, we all stand up together and offer Prayers, And as you read on through that, he talks about the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't know about you, but when I read that, you know what that sounds a lot like? Exactly what we do every Sunday, every weekend when we gather together here to, to worship God. And here's the point I want you to understand. When we gather in a place like this to worship every weekend, we're not just following some American version of Christianity. We are literally following in the footsteps of the early church in giving priority to the public worship of God together with God's family. 
When we come together to worship, we're doing what brothers and sisters in Christ since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There's been a gathering every week where brothers and sisters have come together for over 2,000 years celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried, but then he rose again from the dead. And for 2,000 years, brothers and sisters in Christ have gathered together in a place every week to lift high the name of Jesus. And when we gather here every weekend, we're not just going through the motions of church. We are celebrating and standing in the history of the family of faith, worshiping the God who saved us. But not only was it the the pattern of Jesus and the practice of the early church, in the New Testament, we find prescribed for us that we're to follow in that example. If you got your Bible this weekend, I want you to open it to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to focus on two verses of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And I'm going to read these verses, then we're going to unpack them together in dealing with the why. Why is gathering together so important? The Bible says, And let us consider how to stir up one another, To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The big question that I want to answer today is why do we gather? And I think as you think back over the last year, as there was all this debate about churches and gathering, we oftentimes we talked about churches like they were just everything else. But I believe that the Scripture teaches us that there's something unique about the family of God and the gathering of the family of God. And it's really unpacked in understanding the why we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do we gather A lot of people would answer that question and say, well, the reason that I come to church is because I know it's what I need to do for God to be happy with me. Like if I don't come to church, somehow God's going to be disappointed in me. Listen, we talked last weekend about the reality that our, our position before the Father, the way he views us, is not rooted in our performance. It's rooted in our position in Christ. Whether you've had a good week or a bad week hadn't changed the way the Father looks at you. It doesn't change the way he loves you. Whether or not I'm here every Sunday checking off the box or not, that doesn't earn me favor before God. But a lot of people, the reason they come is they well, I got to do that for God to be happy with me. Or somebody might say, man, I come to church because I I need that pick-me-up once a week. I I need to be encouraged. I need that. And some people say, man, the reason I come to church is because it's just what my family taught me. I was raised in one of those families that said, on the Lord's Day, you go to church. So that's what I do. That's why I'm here. But to answer the question why we gather, the writer of Hebrews here gives us much greater biblical insight into why we gather. Let me give you some statements to answer that question, why we gather. I'm going to give you three of them. Here's the first one. We gather because God is worthy of our worship. Are you glad to be saved? I'm not sure you heard the question that I just asked you. Are you glad to be saved? 
I mean, we talked last weekend about the reality that we are forgiven. Are you glad to know today that all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven? Are you glad to know today that you are accepted by God, not on the basis of your performance, but because of your position in Christ? Are you glad to know that your security in heaven is settled because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Here's what I want you to know. The God who saved you, the God who's forgiven you, the God that accepts you, the God that has your place reserved in heaven is worthy today of us coming into this place and lifting up his name and worshiping him. We didn't read it, but in the phrase just before the verses we read out of Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 23, the last phrase says this, I'll put it up here, for he who promised is what? Say it out loud. Faithful. Then he goes into verses 24 and 25 talking about our gathering together for worship. One of the reasons we gather for worship is because the one we've gathered to worship is worthy of our worship. Our response to who he is is an expression of worship what we've done already in this service. We sang that first song, man, and they sang. I I didn't really know what we were going to be singing this weekend. And when I got here, I looked at the list. I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. But but they opened with that song about God never failing, about this God being faithful. And then we sang about the goodness of God. And we sang about the greatness of God. All of these things about who he is. We are worshiping him because he's worthy of our worship. Psalmist. The psalmist understood this principle that we worship in response to the greatness of who he is. Let me show you in Psalm 95, the way the psalmist writes about this reality of worship. He says in Psalm 95, Oh, come, let who? Let us sing. Well, I'm not a very good singer. No, but are you us? There's only us and them, right? Us sing, them don't. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. In the, in the Hebrew, it's a word that means to shout. Do you know it's okay to shout in church? Hey, listen, sometimes it helps your preacher if you shout. He said, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him. You hear it? It's it's to the Lord. It's to the rock. It's into his presence. It's to him. And then he says, for the Lord. You hear how this worship thing, it's not about us. Worship is all about him. We've gathered in this place because God is worthy of our worship. Look what he says. For the Lord is a, what? Say it out loud. Great God and a great king above all gods. Oh, come. Let us worship. And bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God. We gather to worship because God is worthy of our worship. The Hebrew word here for great is a word that emphasizes importance. 
size, or significance. Take any one of those three categories. Importance, size, or significance. And God's at the top of them all. Like he's far above all others. God is great. I love Webster's definition of great. Webster says it's remarkable in magnitude, degree, or effectiveness. Markedly superior in character and quality. Listen, we don't gather because the church is great. We don't gather because the music is great. We don't worship because the preaching is great. We don't gather because the people are great. We don't gather because the building is great. We gather because God is great. Out of that Psalm 95 passage here, let me give you some some descriptions of the kind of worship that our great God deserves. Number one, our worship should be joyful. Three times in verses 1 and 2, you hear the psalmist here describing joy or joyfully. God's people should be joyful people. Man, nothing is more frustrating to me than see somebody come in church and they got that friend on their face and they sit down and they lock their arms and say, bless me if you can. There's no place for that in the family of God. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad your day's been. Your place in heaven's secure. You're forgiven. You're accepted by the Father. Your position in Christ is settled. Nothing changes that. We ought to come in here with a spirit of joy. Our worship is to be joyful. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I like this second one. Our worship should be active. When we gather for worship, worship is a verb. Think about that for a minute. Not a noun. Worship is not an event, an event you attend. Worship is not a video that you watch online. Worship is an activity in which you participate. Worship is not a spectator sport. You see, we have a wrong view when it comes to worship in the American church. Here's the wrong view. We believe that you, many times in the church in America, you in the congregation are the audience. And we believe that the people up here on stage are the worshipers. And we often have this idea that God is the prompter. And what happens in this dynamic is God is prompting the people on stage and they respond in worship in front of the audience. Did you know that's really messed up? Let me let you in on a secret. You are sitting on stage. Worshippers. Worshippers. The folks up here on this stage, here's what they are. They're prompters. 
filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the greatest value anybody on this stage brings is not their ability, it's not their, their, their craft or their skill or their ability to sing or to speak. The greatest value they bring is walking into this place filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that when they get up to lead, they are effectively prompting the worshipers. So if, if you're the stage worshipers and the stage people here are the prompters, who's the audience? There's an audience of one. And he is seated on the throne of the universe. And every weekend when we gather in this place, we are gathering to be prompted by the Holy Spirit of God. And we join our voices together in worship because God is worthy of our worship. Do you hear these words? Singing, shouting, coming, shouting, bowing, kneeling. You know what that is? It's active. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's got to worship the same. I watched EJ up here a minute ago. You know, I can't do that. Like, if I wanted to, I can't do that. I was not, I pray that when I get to heaven, Whatever Teddy and EJ got, I get a dose of that when I get to heaven. They got something I didn't get in my gene pool. I can't, I don't do that. Listen, we're not going to all worship the same. Here's my point. When we come into the house of God, God is worthy of our worship. Being who we are, there should be freedom to have an expressive, joyful, active celebration of worship. Third thing the psalmist says is our worship should be together. Did you hear it? Oh, what's the first two words? Oh, what? Come. The word come is a word, it's a verb that describes movement to something or someone. And get this, in the Hebrew language, it's a command. It's meaning this, it's not a suggestion for you and I to pray about. It's an imperative. We're to come together. We're to come together for worship. Why do we come together for worship? First reason, because God is worthy of our worship. Here's the second reason. We gather because God commands our worship. I just showed you in Psalms where it's an imperative. Let me show it to you back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. He says, and let us consider... Anytime you see that, that phrase, and let us, it's a Greek construction of a verb describing an imperative. It's used like a command for a group of people together of which the writer is included in the group. Meaning it's, it's not a suggestion, it's an imperative, it's a command. Let us together consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How? By not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Followers of Jesus choosing not to gather with other believers for worship is not a new issue in the church. The writer of Hebrews here says, in the early church, in the first century, there were already Christians who were developed a, what he calls a bad habit. A bad practice in life of neglecting, of forsaking, of abandoning the gathering together with other believers in worship. But in the last year, 
in America, what's always been an issue in the church has become epic in the church. Let me show you a statistic. The Barna Research Group did some study at the end of 2019, and here's what they discovered. One-third of practicing Christians in America has stopped attending church during COVID-19. One-third. One-third of the church in America is doing exactly what the Bible says here not to do. Now, were there some reasons early on in this process why all of us needed to be very careful and cautious as we gathered together? Yes, there were. And that's why as a family of faith, we responded and I think in many ways led the way in our city for setting standards and working with governing officials and trying to make sure that we were, we were careful with everything we were navigating in society. But we're now living at a point when a lot of people, they're going to the mall like they always went to the mall. They're going to their friend's house like they always went to their friend's house. They're going to restaurants like they always went to restaurants. They're going to work like they always went to work. But they're still playing the card when it comes to gathering in church on Sunday. And I know preaching in the room here, I'm literally preaching to the choir. You're here. But there's some people who are going to be watching this online that I'm talking to. And listen, I'm not talking. There are still people in society who, because of health concern or being in high-risk categories, still need to be very careful. And if that's you and you're watching online, listen, we encourage you to continue to enjoy worship together with believers online because it's the absolute safest thing for you to do right now. But here's what I am saying to the online crowd. If you're going to the mall like you always went to the mall and to work like you always went to work and to your friend's house like you always went to your friend's house and the restaurant like you always went to the restaurant and you're just simply choosing to watch church out of convenience or comfort, it's time for you to regather with the family of God. Because one of the reasons we worship is God commands our worship. It was never an option for believers to come together and worship. And you say, maybe you say, well, what's the big deal? Why can't I just choose to do this at home? I get that God's worthy of my worship, and I get that God commands us to worship. But, but why can't I just worship at home by myself? Now, that's a very American thing, our individualistic mindset in America. We're the only ones that understand the Christianity without community. When you look in the New Testament, when you look at the global church, the global church and the New Testament church knows nothing of Christianity without community. And what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is that we've been commanded to not forsake the assembling, the coming together of the body of Christ in worship. And here's why we can't just do this at home. Here's the third reason why we worship. God's worthy. God commands it. Here's the third one. We gather because worship's not just about us. You see, we have a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others in the family of God. 
And the writer of Hebrews is teaching us here that when we gather together with others in God's family weekly, that's one of the ways we give priority to ministering to one another inside of the body of Christ. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read it again. Look what he says. And let us consider. You see that word? The word consider is a Greek word that means to to think about, to contemplate on, to, to give minds attention to. Let us consider how to, get this, stir up one another. The word stir up there, it's a, a Greek phrase that, that, that describes, it, it, when it's used negatively, it means to irritate. When it's positively, it means to inspire. He says, man, let us think about how we can inspire one another to love and good deeds. And he says, let me tell you the starting place for that. Not neglecting the gathering of yourselves together. He said there's no way you can begin to consider how to stir up, how to inspire the faith of others if you're not coming together as the body of Christ for worship. You see, too often when we gather for worship, we're totally consumed with ourselves. But here's what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us. Gathering together for worship is not just about me. Sometimes we gather for worship and it's all about did I like the music or not. We did a new song this weekend. Introduce a new song. Every time we introduce a new song, some people email, oh, I love that song. Some people, I didn't like that song. Just didn't do it for me. I hate to bust your bubble. You're not the litmus test. I'm not the litmus test. We look for music that's consistent with God's Word, that magnifies who He is, that brings us together from a diversity of culture and background and generation. But we we get so concerned, well, I didn't like the music, or I didn't like the message, or I just wasn't feeling it today. But gathering together is not just about me. It's about God and how He wants to use me in the lives of others in His family. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about these two verses of Scripture. He said, it is interesting to note that the emphasis here is not on what the believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what he can contribute to the assembly. Meaning this, the writer of Hebrews is not saying, you need to come to church for you. He says, you need to come to church for the church. The church needs You, and God's going to use you in the lives of others when we gather together for worship. Over 40 times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit uses the phrase, one another. He inspired the writers across books in the New Testament to talk about the one another relationship. And all of these one another phrases describe our responsibility to each other's brothers and sisters in Christ. Things like loving one another, serving one another, honoring one another, giving preference to one another. Two of the one another's are used right here in Hebrews. I want to look at these two one another's that demand us being together. The bottom line is you cannot live out the one another's through a video. You cannot live out the one another's watching on YouTube. We have to be together. Now, is there a time and a place when that's an appropriate way for us to lean into worship? I'm traveling. I'm sick. There's a health concern. Absolutely, there's a time and a place. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, can't be the habit. 
can't just be comfortable because I like sitting in my pajamas with my coffee cup. Everybody all right? I know y'all, right? You're here. I'm going to get some emails, but that's all right. To one another's, we're exhorted to here that we can't do without being together. Look at the first one. Stir up one another to love and good deeds. I told you earlier the word stir up here is a Greek word that when it's used negatively, it means to irritate. It's like when you get a rock in your shoe. Man, it just irritates. It will not leave you alone. It just bothers you. It's an irritation. But when it's used positively, as it is here in this text, it means to inspire, to motivate. We should be aware of what God is doing in the lives of other people around us when we gather, and we should be looking for ways to inspire greater devotion to Jesus in the lives of other people when we gather. You know the problem? Sometimes we come to worship and we're so consumed with us, it's like we got blinders on, man. We park in the parking lot and we ain't looking at nobody else. We get to the door, we're going right to our seat. We want to get our seat, and then when service is over, man, we want to be the first one out so we can get to the parking lot and beat the crowd out of the parking lot. It's all about us. We got blinders on. What if? What if when you pull on campus, what if when you arrive here, the question of your heart is, God, would you show me some people today in the gathering that you can use me in their life today to inspire. Listen, if we understand that that responsibility doesn't just sit up here on the stage, that responsibility sits out here. We're all gathered together as worshipers, and the responsibility as we gather is for each of us to look for ways to inspire one another to love Jesus more, to serve him in greater ways. What if, what if you showed up here every weekend you said, God, show me at least one person today. God, I'm not leaving today until you use me to inspire one person. You know, one of the reasons we designed this worship center the way we did, it was intentional. We obviously wanted an intimate room where we could meet together and have worship. But, you know, in this room, <laughs> you kind of get the feel that everybody's on stage, right? Like no matter where you sit, everybody can see you, right? It's true, right? You know why we did that? There's a verse in Colossians that talks about singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know what happens when we gather in this room? We get to see each other worship. And let me tell you how this affects me personally. Every week we do multiple services. Last weekend, Easter, man, we did a bunch of services. By the time we got to the last service on Easter, I never want to preach that sermon again in my life. Man, I'm tired of it. But you know what inspires me? I don't know if you notice this about me, but I'm not one of those guys who sits back in a green room until it's my turn to preach. No, I'm out here during the worship every week. I sit through every song, every, every service that we have every weekend. I'm here. I'm engaged. I'm singing. You know why? Because I need that much worship in my own heart. But, but get this. There's sometimes you've done a service and it's time to do the next service or the next service. I come out here and my heart's really not in it. My heart's not in it. I'm over, I'm over here praying, Lord, I really don't want to do this again. We just did this. I don't want to do this again. And guess what happens? I'll be looking around the room, and I'll see one of you. I'm serious. You may not know it, but I can't tell you how many times it's one of you in a service just going after it. I, I'm, I'm going to pick on him because he's in the room. My brother Alex over here, I told Travis, 
I want to bring Alex on staff and pay him a full-time salary to have one job, attend every service. Because, man, I'm telling you, this brother inspires. And listen, I know his story. If you knew his story, man, his story, he inspires me. God uses this brother and other people. As I look around the room, there are others in the room that, that God uses to inspire me. As you engage in worship, here's what you need to know. Others are watching you. They may have come in here and had the worst week of their life. Their family may be falling apart. They may have just lost their job. But when they see the joy of Jesus in you and they see you going after it, it inspires them to worship God. How do you do this? How about a simple greeting? Just look for somebody to say hey to. I know we got to be careful right now, but you can air high five, you can fist bump, you can say hey from six feet away, you can say hey. Just greet somebody. Make it your intention to never come on this campus without greeting somebody and letting them know you're glad to see them. Do you know that just about every weekend we have people that walk in here that are contemplating really dark things in their lives? People that are giving church a try as a last hope. And it could be Christ in you that just says, hey, man, you matter. I'm glad you're here. That God could use to literally turn their life upside down. But to get there, we got to get not so focused on ourselves. And we for sure got to be here. How about looking for somebody you can walk up to and say, can I pray for you? I don't get weird about it, all right? It's not a moment for you to call down the Sakana glory of God on their life. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, hey, hey. If you know them good enough, that's all right. Go for it. But if you don't know them that well, don't freak them out. <laughs> but as simple, is there anything I can pray for you about? When I walk into service, I'm going to be praying. I'd love to pray for you. Is there anything I can pray for you about? You know what I'm talking about? Considering. I've been kind of challenging the online crowd. You can't do this and do this from home. And let me tell you what else you can't do. You can't get here late and leave early and live this out. If you get here after the service starts and leave before it finishes, here's what you're screaming. Worship's all about me. I've come here for me and mine this weekend. But when we come here to stir up one another, we get here early to meet with people. We stay lingering afterwards to connect with people. Because we didn't just come here to get ours. We came here to be used by God to stir up others. Stir up one another. And then here's the, the next one. He says, encouraging one another. He says, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near in verse 25. That phrase, encourage, it's the, the Greek word that we get the word paraclete. That's a name for the Holy Spirit. It's this Greek word that we get that name from. It's a word that literally means to, to come alongside of, to encourage, to, to come alongside and lift them up. Meaning, you can't do this from a distance. you got to do this in close proximity. There has to be relationship. There has to be gathering together. Listen, the reality is this world that we live in can be discouraging for Jesus' followers. Amen? 
It's a tough world. It's getting darker. But you hear what he said? The day's drawing near. What day is he talking about? The day when Jesus comes again and sets it all right. You say, when's it going to happen? I don't know, but here's what I do know. It's closer today than it was yesterday. You say, Pastor, I believe we're closer to the second coming of the Lord than we've ever been. You're absolutely right. We sure are. And tomorrow we'll be another day closer. I don't know when it's going to happen. Is it in our generation? I don't know. Is it 100 years, 1,000 years? I don't know. Because to the Lord, a day is 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is a day. I don't know when it's going to be, but here's what I do know. In the world that we live in, we all need encouragement. And when it's when we come together that God uses us to lift one another up and encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. Tell you what encourages me sometimes is when some of you say amen. That's, that's the word. That's good. That's what amen means. It means I agree. That, that's what the word says. That's why we worship. But there's a whole lot we could say about the what of worship. We're not going to deal with that this weekend. I wanted to just talk about the why. And what we're going to do as we bring this to a close is we're going to worship together. When we practice this worship together every weekend, as your leadership, you need to know that we're focused primarily on two things. We're focused on experiencing God's presence together. For us, it's not about repeating a program. We, we believe that what we need to do is experience the presence of God together, the manifest presence of God. And then we want to worship together with God's people. Worshiping together is about hearing God through His Word. It's about talking with God through prayer. And it's about responding to God as He moves in our lives what this thing of worship is all about.